Ah, Thanksgiving. I'm thankful. I shouted it out. I don't know if you heard me, but I shouted out in Mike, Pastor Mike's. I said, Shauna. Thankful for Shauna and the worship team and all the work that they do. This band has a name, by the way. It's called uh, Shauna and the Three Sturgises. <laughs> Good to be here. Good to be here. You know, I uh, watched that video and I used to hate it when at, thanks, at the Thanksgiving meal, my mother would make us go around that table and hold hands, and each one of us would have to offer, offer up one thing that we were thankful for. I hated it because I was really just a horrible kid, honestly, I guess. Uh, I could never think of anything to be thankful for. I, I mean, we didn't really have a whole, a whole lot. My upbringing wasn't stellar. My father was in and out of our lives in, like a revolving door, and I remember going to bed hungry more often than not. And every year, I had hoped that my mom would just end this ridiculous tradition. We used to mock and, and ridicule this practice at Thanksgiving. Instead of saying what we were thankful for, we would express what we had hoped for instead. So instead of saying something like, I'm thankful for my brother Tim, I, I would say something like this. I would say, I, I hope my brother Tim would stop throwing rocks at me as I rode my bike down the dirt road, hitting me so hard, it would knock me off the bike, ripping my jeans. And Tim, if you're watching this, you know you threw those rocks. You can deny it, but you threw those rocks. I may not have gotten over that quite yet. I may have some issues to work through. So we would say what we would hope for instead of giving thanks for what we already had. And eventually, because of our mocking and our ridicule, my mother did banish the tradition, which ironically led us to truly being thankful for once that we didn't have to do that silly thing. And when I, when I was thinking about this, and this, this, this tradition, uh, um, about hoping for what I didn't have, instead of being thankful for what I did have, I realized that part of me, even today, still hopes still has hopes. For instance, I hope my Vancouver Canucks will one day win the Stanley Cup. I really hope that. And, and as of two days ago, I think our reality got a little closer because we just signed Lloyd Minister's very own Braden Holtby, one of the all-star goaltenders in the NHL. So Braden, if you're watching, bring home the cup, baby. I, I also hope for um, our children to give us many, many grandchildren. Chris, Still doesn't have a girlfriend. My daughter's married. Still no grandchildren, but we hope for that. I hope I'll get lots of lemon meringue pies as gifts over the years that I'm here. I, I love lemon meringue pie. It's my jam. So I really want you guys to go out and sign up, not right now, do it after the end of the service, to the, to the info desk. And we really want you to sign up for that Dine and Dash because um, it's just our way of getting to know you. It's an hour-long commitment. We'll feed you, then you can get out of there if you want. Uh, we want to get to know each and every one of you. Everyone's invited. Please sign up. And if you want to bring a lemon meringue pie, you can do that. I would be okay with that. And I hope to win the lottery. That would be awesome to win the lottery. You, I'm sure you, you've heard the story of the man who went to church, and he prayed. He said, God, if, if you let me win the lottery, I'm going to give 20% of all that I win to the church. And the week went by and, and, and he didn't win the lottery. So he goes back to church next week. He says, Lord, if you let me win the lottery, I'll give you 
I'll give the church 20% of everything, and I want to serve as a missionary overseas for two years. But he didn't win the lottery that next week. So he goes back to church, and he says, Lord, Lord, please, if you let me win the lottery, I'll give 30% of all that I win, and I'll serve five years overseas as a missionary. But still nothing. So then he goes back the next, the next week, and he gets on his knees. He says, Lord, if you would let me win the lottery, please, I will give half, 50% of all that I win to the church, and I'll dedicate my life to serving you overseas. But nothing. So the following week, he gets there early, he goes to the front of the altar, he gets to his knees, and he bemoans to his Lord. He cries out, he says, Lord, why? Why? Why won't you win? let me win the lottery? And then the skies part, the sun shines down, you can just hear the, the energy crackling in the room, and then with a loud, clear voice from heaven, God speaks in a booming voice, my son, my son, you got to meet me halfway and at least buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> says in my notes, I have to pause for laughter. <laughs> Morning did a lot better than you guys, just saying. So what are you hoping for? What are you hoping for? The word hope is a word that when used, it can be misunderstood. Sometimes we as Christians, we don't like using the word hope because it seems like a, like a weak word. A word that makes us sound like we're not people of faith. And, and honestly, it is, it is a bit of a weak word, especially when we use it in place of the word wish. I, I wish my Canucks would win the Stanley Cup. I wish, oh, I wish our children would give us grandchildren. I wish for lots of lemon meringue pie. I like the one with a really fluffy meringue, by the way. So if you flat meringue, now big meringue. And, and I wish I could win the lottery. Problem is, I never buy a lottery ticket, so chances of me winning is probably pretty, pretty slim. But in these instances, hope and wish are synonymous. It's a desire to want something to happen. That's what hope and wish means. And in these instances, we are using the word hope as a verb. It's, it's an action word. We want something to happen, even though there is no promise of a said result. Some would even call this wishful thinking. So, so today we won't be talking about this type of hope anymore. We won't be talking about wishful thinking. Today we will look at the word hope as it pertains to the Christian faith. The, the doctrine of hope is a building block of our faith, especially when we use it as a noun, a person, a place, or a thing, the object of, of the sentence. So this morning I would like to show you from Scripture and, and, and hopefully from my life, that biblical hope is not just a desire for something good in the future. It's not wishful thinking, but rather, biblical hope is this. It's a confident expectation for something good in the future. A confident expectation for something good in the future. So, so biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. It not only expects it to happen is confident that it will happen. There is a moral certainty that the good we expect and desire will be done. Hope is a noun in Scripture. Hope is based on a person, Jesus Christ. He is our hope. 
1 Corinthians 3.11 says, for, a, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So any confident expectation of something good in the future rests on the foundation of Christ. So if you have made Christ your foundation in life, then you can be confident in your future. No matter what you have gone through, no matter what you are going through, no matter what you may go through in the future, if your foundation is Jesus Christ, then He is your hope and your future is secure. Because Jesus is your rock, He's your fortress, and He is your deliverer. Jesus is your refuge. He's your shield, and He's your salvation. Jesus is your stronghold if you made Him your foundation. Let me pray quickly. Father God, I would ask you in the name of, of our Father that you would connect this lecture into the congregation, that my words spoken would be the words of the Holy Spirit, that you are able to use what is spoken here today and what is shared today, and you would make it beautiful in the hearts and the minds of, of, your, of your people. So thank you for what you are going to do. In your name we do pray. Amen. So I mentioned my, my mother and her crazy tradition at the top of the sermon this morning. Uh, to be honest, that tradition that she tried to force us to do was probably the most motherly thing she ever did with us. My mom wasn't the greatest mother in the world, and, and my, father, my father certainly wasn't the greatest father either. They both had more of a negative influence on my life than a positive one. But don't get me wrong, I, you know, I, I love my mom, and, and I believe, I, I choose to believe that she loved me. But it wasn't a pretty upbringing, to say the least. I, I don't blame my mom, not anymore. She didn't have the greatest upbringing either. You see, my mom, she didn't have hope. She had wishes and she had dreams. She hoped things would get better for her, for her marriage and for us. But she didn't have that confident expectation for something good in the future. She didn't have hope. My mother was raised in a religious home. Her, her parents attended a closed Plymouth Brethren Church. It's an ultra-conservative branch of evangelicalism. Women sat on one side of the church, men sat on the other. Women had to remain silent in the church, wear head coverings, uh, things called mantillas. No musical instruments were used in worship. They had a separate hour-long service uh, just for the Lord's Supper, and that was followed immediately by the Gospel Bible Hour every Sunday. And everyone who attended had to wear suits and ties, dresses for the ladies. There are lots of rules and lots of regulations, and my mom... She hated going to church. She would skip out on Sunday school, on, on Sunday school uh, and, and go to the local park to hang out with her friends. That's where she learned how to smoke, learned how to drink in that park. My mom had been a chain smoker almost since the age of 14, and she first got drunk at the age of 13 in that very park in Toronto. She would do anything she could to skip church, so she got extra jobs that would require her to work on Sundays. She would volunteer to babysit uh, so other people could go to church. 
And she eventually ran away from home at the age of 16 and lived on the streets of Toronto for years because she didn't want to go to church. I found out much later in life, a few years before she passed, that one of the reasons she hated church so much was because of the hypocrisy that she found in the church. Her dad, my grandfather, whom I never met, her father was a, an elder in that church. He was a, a pious man who was held in high esteem by everyone, but at home, he was not only physically abusing all his children, but he was also sexually abusing my mother, which is why she ended up running away from home. To make matters worse, her father, my grandfather, was stripped of his elder status because of my mom. If he couldn't keep his daughter in line, then he couldn't be an elder. My mom shared with me that he had come looking for her after he was stripped of his position in the church, found her on a corner in Toronto, and beat her within an inch of her life, all because he lost his position in the church. And she vowed that day that was the last time she would ever set foot in a church. My mom wished her life was different. She had hoped for something better from her parents. But her life didn't get much better. But, but look at this verse, Romans 15, 13. Let's read it. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That's truth. That's gospel truth for us. But this was not my mom's reality because she didn't have hope. My mom bounced around the streets of Toronto for a few years, twice having to have abortions. She then met my father, a Roman Catholic man who had what we call a strong taste of the drink. You know what I mean? And when my mom got pregnant by him, they uh, quickly got married, a shotgun wedding, if you will. She had a disavow being an evangelical, uh, which she had no problem doing in order to be married in my father's church, which was a Roman Catholic church. And not long, long after that, my first brother was born, Alan. But he was born with mental disabilities. My father left my mother in the hospital room just left her. My mom hoped for a healthy first child. She wished for a strong marriage, but she got neither. But look at this, Psalm 14, sorry, Psalm 146.5. Blessed is he whose hope is in the Lord, his God. What a great truth for us today. But my mom didn't feel blessed at that moment in the hospital room when her husband left her with a a child that was mentally disabled because she did not have hope. But my mom, she packed everything up when she could, went searching for him and found him living in a hotel. She pushed her way in and demanded he honor their wedding vows. One year later, my brother Brian was born. They bounced around Ontario quite a bit, staying far enough ahead of bill collectors. My father would disappear for weeks on end leaving my mom and my two brothers to fend for themselves. My, my mom never quite knew where my father went. But at that stage, he did always return. And my mom had to resort to some unsettling behaviors in order to keep a roof of some kind over their heads and some food in their bellies. My brothers recall hearing a lot of sirens in their early 
days of life. You know, my mom wished they could have had more money. She dreamt of a nice house with a yard for her children. She hoped for a peaceful marriage. But none of these things occurred for her. Yet we have Psalm 918, which says, For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Another great biblical truth that we can apply to our lives today. But my mom, at that moment, felt forgotten. And she felt abandoned because she didn't have hope. My two sisters came next, Kathy and Donna. Then five years later, my brother Tim. Then five years later, I showed up. When I was three months old, my dad left my mom again. Here she was with six children, no job, no money, and her husband had left her again. What did she do? Well, she packed all of us up on a train, took it to Winnipeg where she heard my dad was staying. Again, she arrived at his doorstep, demanded he take us all in. And then they went from town to town, village to village, looking for work. They eventually found uh, a job and a home for us in British Columbia. I was, I was barely 10 months old. So my parents, they first ran a, a restaurant and a lodge until it burnt down. Then my dad did some house painting until he was fired from the job for being drunk. Then my uh, dad did some construction work until he fell off a ladder and hurt his ankle and lost his job. He continued to go from job to job. We went from town to town and house to house. And one of my earliest memories of these times was waking up and finding myself covered head to toe in mice. I, I, I had to sleep on a towel on the floor in the living room. That was my bed. I think I was four or five. We, we really didn't live in the nicest of homes back then. My mom hoped for a better life for her and her children. She wished she had made better choices. She wanted a chance to start all over from the beginning again. But of course she can't. You can't do that. And she didn't. Five years later after I was born, I, I think I was in an accident. Um, my youngest brother David was born. He wasn't an accident. He was a medical impossibility. My mom had surgery after I was born so she could never get pregnant again. But she did. And towards the end of that pregnancy, uh, she lapsed into a coma for three months. It was an out of a, a non-uterine pregnancy. Very dangerous. And, and, my, and so with my mom in a coma, six kids around, my dad didn't know what to do. So he did what he did best. He left. Again, my two oldest sisters became our parents for a few months. Eventually, my, my father did return home just before they induced my mom, and my brother David was born. He was literally a medical miracle. Should not, he should not be here today. And, and my mom, when she was brought out of that coma, when she heard that David was alive, she slapped the doctor when he told her the baby had somehow survived. I love reminding my brother David of that reality. My mom, she had hoped her, her baby birthing days were over. She was 45 years old. She had too many mouths to feed, too many backs to clothe. She wished my dad would shake out of his alcoholism, find a steady job, and start looking after us. But her wishes did not come true. 
My, my mom held out hope for a lot of things. She wished for a different life. She dreamt things would get better. She had a hope for a better future, but she was not confident in it actually happening. And, and so she modeled to all of her children the futility of life. Pastor Mike has been bringing us through the series of Ecclesiastes, which teaches the futility of life, the meaningless of life under the sun. So you ask any of my surviving brothers and sisters, they feel that we are the unluckiest family in Canada. They feel that the world somehow owes them something. They feel betrayed by life, partly because that's how we were raised and how we were led to believe. See, what my mom did not have was real hope. She did not have a refuge, a shield, a rock, a fortress, a deliverer, a stronghold, a salvation of hope. All she had was wishful thinking and dreams. Whenever she experienced trouble or pain or despair or loneliness or depression, fear, doubts, she had nowhere to turn to. She felt like she had nowhere to turn to except to her wishes and dreams. And they all failed her, as all wishes and dreams are apt to do. So then she turned to other substances and other people to help her deaden those types of pains. So I ask you this morning, what's your hope? Who's your hope? Matthew 7 Verses 24 29, that's a well-known parable of Jesus. It says this. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and put them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain comes down, the streams, they rise, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had as its foundation, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain comes down, the streams rise up, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. You know, I'll be honest with you, I guess this isn't one of those great, insightful sermons that are filled with, you know, the Greek and the Hebrew and the deeper aspects of how can we connect the Old with the New Testament. And this, in a lot of ways, this morning, is it's just a simple sermon. It's a sermon about your need to put your hope in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ who's our Lord, he's our Savior, he's our God. He's our rock, he's our fortress, he's our refuge, he's our shield, he's our deliverer, he's our stronghold, he's our salvation. He is our one and only hope. In this parable of Jesus, the, the one who builds his house on the foundation of Jesus, he's called wise. The one who builds his house on a foundation of, of, of sand or something other than Jesus is called a fool. So the wise can withstand the storms of life because he has hope. The fool, their life will always feel like it's falling apart at the seams because they don't have the true hope. 
So no matter where you find yourselves today, your life is not hopeless. It doesn't need to be hopeless. My mom, my mom's life did not have to be hopeless. It didn't have to be. Because God is the answer to your deepest problems and your deepest needs. You know, years and years went by after my youngest brother was born. And in those years, both of my two oldest brothers passed away unexpectedly. Those are really, really sad funerals. My dad tried to take his own life, but failed. That was a very confusing time for us. My youngest sister was arrested and jailed for a spell for drug-related crimes. We were frightened for her, but honestly, we were also frightened by her. And then I, I moved away. I couldn't wait to get away. And you know, I still remember the words my mother spoke to me just before I boarded the bus to go away to university. I was the only child in our family to be able to go to post-secondary education. She said to me, Frank, you have something that none of your brothers and sisters have. I don't know what it is, but don't lose it. Well, that statement was quite the prophetic statement, as it turns out, because it wasn't long after that that I was introduced to Jesus Christ. Not only did I give my life to Jesus, asking Him to forgive me of my sins, confessing my need of Him in my life, acknowledging Him as both Lord and Savior. And as I put my faith in Jesus, Jesus became my true hope. And I was ready to build my life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And now I had a confident expectation for something good in my future. No matter how bad my childhood was, no matter how I felt about my parents and family, I now had hope. My past was not going to wreck my future. Not with Jesus as my foundation. So if you're here today and you feel that life is hopeless, I want you to meet Jesus today. Jesus not only died for your sins so you could have forgiveness of those sins, but he also paved the way for you to get to heaven. He has given you hope of an eternal life in heaven with him. You just need to accept him. Listen to these two promises from scripture. Romans 5.1 Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And then Ephesians 2.8 What well, is by grace that you have been saved through faith this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. This is a gift given to us by God, and we just have to accept it. So I stayed in contact with my mom and my dad, both still living together, struggling to make ends meet, still wishing life would get easier and better for them. But then my mom got cancer. She had a rough and tough life, and she didn't expect the end of her life to be any easier. So our family drove out to see her, likely for the last time. Our children had met Nana and Grandpa just a few times before. They knew some of the stories. Certainly they didn't know all of the stories. And sitting beside her in the hospital, we spoke of life. 
She spoke of her regrets. She spoke of, of the things she wished she could have changed and how she dealt with us. She spoke of her fears. And she spoke of her dreams. My mom said something interesting. She said, Frank, I, I hope God will forgive me and let me into heaven. You know, even after all the horrible things done to her by her father, how she felt about the church, despite her hard life, despite some of her poor decisions, my mom still hoped for heaven. She wished and she dreamt of heaven. And this is just me being transparent this morning. I, I have to admit to you, at that moment, I, I was likely the worst pastor on the face of the planet. Because here was a great opportunity for me to share the gospel story with my dying mother. But I kept coming up with a million excuses on why not to share. It felt like a long time of silence. A long period of silence. That's how it felt to me. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. And then our daughter Stephanie jumped in. She said something like, Nana, you don't have to hope for him. You can know. You can know. And then my daughter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, led my mother, her Nana, to the throne of grace. And she accepted Jesus as her personal Lord and Savior, asking him to take over the last remaining days of her life. She asked for God's forgiveness. She wanted, she said, she needed to have Jesus. She wanted and longed for him. You know, my mom held out hope for a lot of things in her lifetime, but none of them had to do with God. But that day, she finally put her trust in the one true hope, Jesus Christ. My, my mom passed away later on in her sleep, and she passed away with a confident expectation for something good in her future. She put her trust in Jesus, and now she was heaven bound because she had true hope. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and lead us in a closing song. And as they come, I'm going to read you a verse. It's a verse I think we all know. We probably have this verse written on a poster somewhere in our house, or we've just memorized it, so it becomes somewhat, we forget maybe the depth of this verse. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. He knows. He longs to give you something that you might not have. And that's hope.